Praise the Lord. Give God good praise this morning. Well, can you say it with me? He has overcome. And you overcame the rain this morning and the storms to get here. I'm proud of you this morning. It's been a great morning to sleep in. I actually thought about it. But my wife said, you're the preacher, honey. You need to go. And I'm glad I'm here. How about you? I'm glad you're here. And uh, give the Lord one more great hand on Resurrection Sunday that Christ is alive. Let's go back in time, John chapter 20, and read just a portion of what happened some 2,000 years ago. And darkness turned to light. And what happened on Good Friday, the violent death of Christ, was shrouded in a promise that he will live again. John chapter 20, verse 1, it was the first day of the week. It's Sunday. That's why we worship on Sundays is in the Christian church. First day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, and she said to them, and notice the phrase, we'll come back to it, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. Verse 3, Peter ran with the, went with the other disciple, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I want you to imagine with me if we could step back in time and imagine if the Roman army had a drone. Drones are very popular in war today. They're very popular in even uh, America today. They predict in the future there'll be some 20,000 drones flying over the cities and skies of America. They had assumed Jesus was a criminal, so wouldn't it make sense if the Romans had one, they'd be following his little disciples. Imagine if they had planted a secret camera at the tomb of Jesus and caught the expressions of Peter and John when they came to the tomb. Let's take a peek and see what that might have been like.
that drone footage has been labeled confidential because the government doesn't want you to see that. <laughs> because if Christ is alive, I may know it's a game changer. But don't you think it could have been just like that at some point when it began to dawn on the people that Jesus is alive? We've said it a million times, but Friday morning, if you imagine the story, of course, you know at Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. He died at 3 in the afternoon. And I suggest to you that all the hopes and all the dreams that all his followers had, there were thousands that they died on that cross as well. You see, in their day, they had hoped not only for a spiritual Savior, but they were looking for Jesus to deliver them from the Roman rule. They wanted to see the glory days of Israel once again. But yet, when Christ was crucified, all that was over. And the next few days, literally, there was fear. They were in hiding, and something began to change on resurrection morning. The darkness gave way to hope. And that's what I hope to be able to communicate to you this morning, that the hope, not just in the sweet by and by in eternity, but in everyday life, the resurrection of Christ, come on, gives us reason to face the future with hope and confidence. So give the Lord a good hand this morning as we celebrate His resurrection. I've entitled the morning's message, Empty. And I want to look at the resurrection surrounding three questions. The first question is, where's the body? It's a very rational question. It's not just a question for spiritual people. It's not just a question for believers. It is particularly relevant this morning for those that may not believe in Christ. The second question I'll ask you is, where is God in a crisis? They faced a crisis when their Savior was crucified. You and I face crises in our life. We face difficult times. We face troubles. And oftentimes it's easy to lose your faith when you're in the midst of trouble. And lastly, perhaps most important is, what does it mean? Why does it matter, this resurrection of Christ? So let's look, John chapter 20, let's go back to the first question, where is the body? And in our text, Mary had come to the tomb. She went back to Peter and John and the disciples. And I want you to think about what she said. They, everybody say they, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Here's my question. Who took him? It's a profound question. Now, put your Christianity aside just a second. Put aside your, quote, belief in the Bible as God's Word just a moment. Where did his body go? Because the answer to that question is a game changer. We're going to talk about this. Where did his body go? Now, his tomb was literally hewn out of a rock or in the side of a mountain. There was no back door, no escape hatch. There's a large stone rolled over the front. Remember when the women came early in the morning, they were going to put spices in his body for permanent burial. And they asked themselves the question, well, how are we going to move the stone? It was huge stone, and it was also sealed. Whether it was a ceiling around the edges with clay, uh, it was marked by the Roman seal of authority. It carried the power of the Roman Empire that it was to remain closed, and to break that seal would be a violation of law. Now, in America today, it's a discussion that we need to have. Since the 60s, we have deliberately thrown God out of our culture. Our Supreme Court, nine men and women, unelected people, now a political force as opposed to men and women who made decisions based on the Constitution. And you hear a lot in America today, if I could digress a moment, about decisions and how they're made. In some amazing way, these nine men and women found a right to an abortion in the Constitution. It's not there, if you Google it, but yet they try to find it. Well, the founders' original intent when the Supreme Court didn't have something addressed in our Constitution, was they would go to the Bible. Duh. That was the founders' faith, and for them, God's law 
undergirded the laws, the civil laws of men. So if it wasn't specifically addressed, they'd go to the Bible. And whether it's same-sex marriage, whether it's abortion, all the issues that are out there today, and the world doesn't know what to do. You see, we live in a secular world. In the 60s, we used to pray in school when I was a boy. No longer today. We want Christ out. We, we used to remember God before football games. There were manger scenes, all these things. But our society is deliberately getting rid of anything to do with Christ. And I, I must apologize to you that are younger that my generation and my fathers and grandfathers have given us this land. But it's what we've got. Uh, let me show you political correctness on steroids. This week in Easter, and we'll talk about Easter and what it means, but there was a principal in Alabama, and here's what she did with this Easter bunny uh, experience where they were going to use egg hunting as a way to motivate the kids. Take a peek at this little news piece, and then we'll, uh, we'll explore it deeper. Do you view an Easter egg hunt as a religious rite of passage? Well, apparently it depends on who you ask. Heritage Elementary School decided to change the wording of a student activity planned for Friday to exclude the word Easter. The school's principal explains it's to keep religiously diverse parents from getting upset. Kids love the bunny, and we just try to make sure that we don't say the Easter bunny so that we don't infringe on the rights of others because people relate the Easter bunny to religion. Okay. All the bunny worshipers, let me see your hand out there. I want to see. Bunny worshipers? Is that a hand? No. Now, I'm sure she's a sweet lady, but America has just lost its mind. You know, and, and obviously we understand the religious implications, but Easter, you know, Easter, if you look in the Bible, you won't find it in most translations. I've got about 75 English Bibles on my computer, and I did a mass search. Easter only came up in two Bibles, the King James and the Authorized Version. And it was Acts 12, chapter 12, verse 4, and it was a translation of the word that's more accurately translated Passover. Now, what's going on, of course, at this time of the year, there are, there's the Jewish Passover that's celebrated. You remember Christ, the Passover lamb. It was the Jewish lamb remembering Moses and the Passover. That's the same day Jesus was crucified on Passover, Good Friday. We've got that going on, but a, a, a pagan tradition in the Anglo-Saxon world, the goddess of the spring was Estre, E-O-S-T-R-E, very close to Easter. She became Easter. So what we've got is we've got the Jewish Passover. We've got a pagan celebration. That's where the rabbits come in. That's why ham, I, listen, I like to eat ham, but the Jews, uh, it, it was from a pig, and how many know that was a dirty animal, but yet the lamb was what was celebrated on Passover. So you had two divergent traditions, the Jewish tradition and the pagan tradition, and of course Christian are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And isn't it interesting how in Christian celebrations, the world wants to, like skimming a rock off a pond, they don't want it to strike the core of the meaning. So rather than Christ on the cross, we've got a rabbit laying eggs. Just like to celebrate the birth of Christ, we've got a guy with a fake white beard sitting on a big chair in the mall to get people to buy stuff. Like That's what culture does. And in America, there's a very deliberate trying to purge or scourge out, get rid of any vestige of Christianity today. But I suggest, I wish I could ask the world to pause just a moment before our walls go up, before our questions go up, before our skepticism overtakes us. And when, my friends, did we decide to live in a nation where people have the right not to be offended over everything? Wow. That's kind of the modern day thought, and it's okay to offend everybody's core beliefs except the Christian. Two weeks ago, there was a professor, as I shared with you last week, in a university in Florida, in an intercultural communications class. He wanted to kind of touch at some of our deep core values. He has the students write Jesus on a piece of paper, put it on the floor, and then told the students to step on it. 
Now, they wouldn't do that to Allah or Muhammad because <laughs> the Muslims would come after them. But it's okay in America today for, for, to step on it. Now, if we could pause just a second and look at where did the body go? Because if we would just ask ourselves this question, not just from a biblical perspective, but from a logical perspective, a rational perspective, a legal perspective, if you might, where did this body go? If it was stolen, who was the they? And I suggest to you it's not a lot of options. First, it could have been the disciples. And that's what the Jews wanted to prevent from happening, the most likely people, to perpetuate this new movement of Christianity, of the Jesus people. So they're the ones that got the Roman guards to stand at the tomb. But here's my question. Why would the disciples steal his body and then die for a lie? Now listen, people die for lies all the time. The Muslims are dying. They believe in jihad, that if you give your life, you know, in the service of advancing the, their, their, their worldview or their kingdom, you'll be rewarded in heaven. But they do it because they have sincere belief. Nobody dies for a lie. And the people that were closest to Christ, now listen, 10 of the 11 original apostles' disciples died a martyr's death. That's not what you do. When the pressure comes on you, when you're in the midst of a lie, whether it's law enforcement or waterboarding or whatever, that's when you give up your friends. That's when you tell the truth. Come on. That's when you're trying to get away. But the history of the Christian faith is one martyr after another that stood for Christ. So X the disciples off the list. How about the Jews? Why would the Jews steal Christ when they're the ones that put Him on the cross? They put Him on the cross because they wanted to protect their political power. And how many know people in power will do everything to keep power? See, we were founded as a nation, we the people, but now our leaders, when they get high in government, it just seems to me to be about protecting their positions. If it's not, why do they have their own health care system and we have one that they've given us? Why do they have their retirement system and we have another one? Why do they have their own banking system and can float checks? I'm getting way off Easter message, aren't I? <laughs> But, 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 but my point is, people in power want to hold on to power. See, and that's exactly what was happening in the Jewish era. If the Jews knew where the body of Christ was, listen now, on the day of Pentecost, why would they not have exposed it? When Christianity began to grow on Pentecost, 3,000 people come to Christ, and Peter is preaching, guess what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if they knew where the body was, they'd have pointed it out. How about the third group? Could it have been the Roman soldiers? Now, I searched about 10 commentaries. The best guess of how many there were in this guard was at least 16. But the Jews wanted to make sure the tomb was guarded by the most powerful elite fighting force in the world, the modern-day SEALs, as it were. These people, listen, they were strong, they were tough, they were violent, they would take your life. Now, these Roman soldiers, if they let a prisoner escape, you know what the penalty was? Death. Death if someone escaped. So if you can imagine any other people group that I've not mentioned, if they tried to steal the body, what the soldiers would have done, obviously. They'd have defended the body. But there's no record in antiquity of anyone else stealing the body. And when the Jews tried to make up an excuse what happened, they said the disciples stole the body. And listen now, if someone did steal the body, there would be a search for them. Just like if there were a jailbreak today. If someone gets out of prison, there's code red, there's amber alerts, it's showing up on the interstate, it's showing up on text messages, the state police, the local police are doing manhunts, exact same thing would have happened, but no record in antiquity of that happening. So my friend, my question to you is, if the disciples didn't steal it, and the Jews didn't steal it, 
and the Romans kept anybody else from stealing it, where's the body? Now, the answer to that simple, profound question is life-changing. And it is just as life-changing for us today as it was when Peter and John, when they realized that he left those old dirty clothes behind. It's a game-changer, and it cannot be ignored. Listen to what the, uh, the founder the founder of Harvard Law School, I think. Harvard Law School, the most prestigious law school arguably in the world, but at least in America. The founder, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, was once an outspoken skeptic of Christianity. He'd have been on the talk radio shows today, laughing and mocking. He'd have been debating in universities. He was an outspoken skeptic, so he decided to disprove the deity of Christ. But in the end, he concluded, now listen to this, that the resurrection was true beyond any reasonable doubt. He went into it an unbeliever. He came out on the other side a believer in Christ because he paused to look at the facts. Where is the body? It's even suggested by top law, law minds that if this, the resurrection came to a court of law, it would undoubtedly win. Now listen, Pascal's wager... You remember it? Pascal Blaise, Pascal, 1600s. He was the one who gave us probability theory, a philosopher. He was also a, a, a physicist. He's a brainy smurf. Listen to what he said. He said, all human beings bet with their lives that God exists or does not exist. Let me say it again. Every human being, punch your neighbor and say, that's you. We're betting with our life that either God exists or he doesn't. And I suggest to you that, that in a society that's been purged of God, that, that in our, as we've come up with the answer for all things to be evolution, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to be a Christian. What do you mean, preacher? If you believe in evolution, that you believe then that nothing created everything. Nothing created everything with no purpose. But yet when you look at the world around us, it is all ordered, it is all deliberate. If you look at your body, the sheer complexity of the human body, an egg and a sperm fit on the head of a pen, they come together, and your entire, your entire life in terms of a physical life is already established. Every one of us as human beings are different, different retina scan, different DNA patterns. Every one of us are different. There's a deliberateness, there's a creativeness behind the marvelous hand of God. And Pascal went on to say this. He said, he said, given the possibility that God actually does exist, and assuming either infinite gain or infinite loss, that is, eternity in heaven or eternity in a real place called hell, that's associated with believing in God or unbelief, then any rational person would live as though God exists. So he's simply saying, if you would just pause and think about the enormity of the possibilities. Come on. Listen, we're human beings sitting in Starbucks laughing at people who believe in God, and we are living on borrowed time with a heart that we cannot control. And when it stops, we cannot, come on, beyond CPR a time or two, you can't prolong it. I don't care how much health food you eat. I don't care how many supplements you take. I don't care how good your physician is, at some point, it's over, baby. You are breathing borrowed air, and we somehow arrogantly think that we have the right to decide if God even exists. I think I'm going to bow my knee real quick. 
You say, well, you're older. You have a bald spot on your head. I know, but I began to believe this a little. I was a little younger, too. All right, let's keep moving. The second question, where is God in a crisis? Now, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. Because in a crisis, when Jesus was crucified, the believers lost all hope. They were hiding. They were scared to the death. Fear was defining their life. They were scared. Now, how many know when we go through a dark moment, hope can leave us too? And I'm not talking just theoretically right now. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer in late November. She's here today. She'll give a testimony at the end of the service. Now, look, you would think if God's going to answer prayer, God's going to keep a bad thing away, hopefully he'd do it for the preacher. Even preachers go through dark valleys. She's been on more mission trips than you. Probably given more money than you to missions, maybe. Bad things happen, and here's the deal. Where is God in the middle of the crisis? How do you keep hope alive? How do you keep faith alive? I'm going to suggest to you, friends, you plug into this resurrection power. Now, let's read, because this is very key. Mark chapter 9, we'll go back to the disciples. Jesus, the Son of Man, he, Jesus said this, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. But what does it say? After th you, you know, if you talk a little louder, I'll preach shorter. How about that? After three days. Yeah. After three days. Would you say that's a promise from God? And would you say that God keeps his promises? Would you say it's important to believe? But they didn't. Now, these were his disciples. Luke 24, 19, this is the road to Emmaus. Two disciples walking along the road with the resurrected Christ and didn't even know it was him. Listen to what they said. Well, he was a prophet. He did wonder powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, but our religious leaders crucified him. And listen to what he said after that. We had, we had hoped he was the Messiah. We'd hoped he was the Messiah. And how many say, oh, that's past tense. Jesus had made a promise, but they didn't believe it. And rather than having faith to face the darkness, they lost it. Now, it doesn't stop there. Uh, John 20, verse 25, Thomas, another of believers, Jesus is now, after the resurrection, he's making appearances to different people in different places. At one time, the Bible says 500 people saw him. So he says now, and you come to the disciples, John 20, 25, Thomas said to them, a disciple, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nail, unless I place my finger into that mark and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. He'd have made a great American. He's a product of the Enlightenment. In other words, everything is scientific. Everything is provable. If I can't say it, see it, taste it, or touch it, I don't believe it. How many know faith takes us beyond that realm? Faith believes even when it doesn't see. Faith is based on a promise from God, not just a feeling. Well, he goes on to say, verse 26, eight days later, 29, Jesus appears and said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? And then what does he say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet Now punch your neighbor with a smile and say, That's talking about us. What he's literally saying is the God who created everything, I've never seen him with my eyes. I've seen the work of his hand. Now, isn't it sad that in America today, when we can explain something scientifically, we take God's fingerprint off of it? 
You see, when we understand the process of birth and childbirth and child development, then we take the wonder of God off of it. Scientists have recently discovered what they call the God particle. Thousands of scientists, 41 universities around the world, working on it for decades, and now they believe they found something else beside proton, neutrons, and electrons that produced all matter, and implicit in that is, therefore, we've just explained God away, and there's no such thing as God. Well, the simple preacher would ask the question, who made the God particle? Where did it come from? My friends, it didn't create itself. Come on now. You may figure out how God did. Do you know the technology for your cell phone was available when Noah got on the ark? Now, AT&T didn't have a tower yet, okay? Verizon, no tower, no androids at that point in time. But the same technology that's available today was available to them. But as we've explored it, we have somehow taken God's creative potential, creative capabilities, and assumed that He didn't exist because we can understand it. Pretty naive and arrogant, isn't it? Look, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I contend with you at some point, the simplest person or the most educated person at some point not only takes a leap of faith, but they do take a deliberate choice that I choose faith and I choose to believe. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Now, the application is huge. Because the resurrection reminds us that God keeps His promises. Remember Jesus told him three days and then I'm going to arise. And the application, my friends, is just enormous for us. Because God keeps His promises to you and I. See, you, when you look in the Bible, some things may be specific to a person or group of people, but there's a lot of things like Matthew 6 about worry about the future. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, don't worry about what you're going to wear, your home and job and all these things. And didn't the Jesus tell all believers that if you'll seek first, say it with me, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I'm going to take care of you. So doesn't it make sense if you go to work tomorrow? It's, it's easy to believe in church. But if you go to work and you get a pink slip and you lose your job, don't you think it'd be better to face Tuesday with faith and hope rather than despair? Yeah. Well, can't you faith hope if your hope is grounded on the fact that Jesus said he'd take care of me if I'd seek him first and the job is not my source anyway? Come on, I prayed this morning that God would give me daily bread. God has just been using my company. Now he's going to use something else. That's what faith does in everyday life. Didn't Jesus promise us in Matthew 28, listen when he said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. On days when you cannot make it, and you're going through a court battle, and you don't know what's going to happen, and if you're going to lose or if you're going to win, isn't it just possible that Jesus is still with you, and that faith is your divine connection? Isn't it just possible that when you go into the hospital, and they put you on that table, and they say, get out of the, or that you, you're in the bed, you're in the little see-through gown with no back on it, and all your friends say, we love you. Isn't it just possible that you're not just with the anesthesia person? Come on, you're not just with the nurse on the gurney. But isn't it just possible that your Father in heaven is keeping His word? And by the Holy Spirit, I am with you. And your last, your last conscious thought before they say lights out is, thank you, Lord, that you're here with me. Now, can I tell you, friends, if you don't hear anything else in the message today, hear this. God keeps His promises. And if you will keep faith alive as you walk through the process, you may end up with a miracle or your faith may help you endure till you get to the other side. But faith helps you stay connected to God. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. One more question. 
Revelation chapter 20. Now, you may say, okay, preacher, so what? So what? I'll argue with you. Okay, all right, I, I see your little simple preacher logic there and all that. It's not true, but of course you don't have another answer. If you do, send it to john.miller at churchontherock.org. Some people think, well, maybe he didn't die. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, why does it matter? Revelation chapter 20. The Bible predicts the future. The Bible not only has answers to the past, but the Bible speaks of tomorrow. Now, stay with me on this, why the resurrection matters. The Bible pictures a day when one day we'll all stand before the throne of God. Revelation 20, verse 12, John the Revelator said, I, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God's throne. Now, get this picture. Every person that's ever lived on the planet, billions of people will be there. The Bible says, and the books, plural, were opened. Books were opened, including the book of life. Books were opened for one purpose, book of life, another purpose. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. You know, the Bible says God knows everything we do. He knows the thoughts that we think, and we'll give an account for every word we speak. But your neighbor and say, we could be in trouble. <laughs> if God knows all those things, listen, I know I'm in trouble if I'm standing on my own works because the Bible says that our righteousness, come on, is as filthy rags. How many sins does it take to make a sinner? One. And the wages of sin is death, not just physical, but eternal death or separation from God. The human race is in big, big trouble. And that's why Christianity is different than any other religion on the planet. Stay with me now. The dead were judged according to what they've done. But verse 15, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of was thrown into the lake of fire. I'd say Pascal's wager would say is that's too great a risk for anybody to take. I want to tell you, my friends, the good news this morning on Resurrection Sunday is God offers a way out. God offers a way so your name can be written in the book of life. I'm not talking about a church's membership role. I'm talking about God himself. Come on, when you have chosen to be on his side and when you have responded to his calling. And it is what is coming, my friends. It is why the resurrection matters. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 24. Jesus Christ said, truly, truly, verily, verily. I, I believe all the words of the Bible, the black ones, the words of Christ in red. But when Jesus says, hey, look here, I'm telling you something. I want you to listen. This is true. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's making his connection between he and God the Father. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. What does that mean? That when you put your faith and trust in Christ, God writes your name in this book of life, and through the book of life, you'll avoid eternal judgment. Now, I suggest to you today, we as Americans have not fully grasped what it means to believe. Believe in modern vernacular is more akin to accumulating information in our minds. For example, if I told... Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest with me. How many people believe if you eat excess saturated fat, it's going to clog your tubes and your arteries, and you're more likely to have a heart attack? Let me see your hand. Okay, what do the rest of you believe about? Go for it. Okay, you that raise your hand that are in the circle of I am, how many times do you go back up to the fried catfish bar when there's all you can eat for $14.95 catfish and ribs? 
Now, come on, you cannot lie in church, all right? You can lie to somebody else, but you can't lie in church. We believe it, but we act differently. What if you're sitting in church right now, and hopefully your phone's on silent, but what if you just kept getting text after text after text, buzz, 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 and you look at it, and it's from the police chief, and he said, your house is on fire, get home immediately. What would you do? Again, if you talk a little louder, I'll preach a little shorter. <laughs> i tell you what you would do. You'd run out of here. And you tell somebody, watch the kids. You tell the usher, I got a two-year-old upstairs or whatever. I got in somebody say, you watch those kids. I got to run home. My house is on fire because you believed. And if you believe in Christ, my friends, if you're living this way, if you're going your own way, living your own life, going in the ways of the world, and you hear God calling you, then you, if you believe, you turn and you follow him. You don't keep eating at the rib bar. Are you, are you with me today? And Jesus said, if you will, inf uh, if you will uh, exercise simple faith to believe in Christ and surrender your life to Him, He'll write your name in the book of life. I'll close with this scripture. Jesus said this as He continued. He said, an hour is coming. Here's a prediction. When all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. Every dead person will live again. Listen. You, my friend, had a beginning when you were born, but then you will live eternally. The only question is, where will you live? Your body will die, but the Bible teaches that our bodies will all be resurrected. Everyone. Jesus said, those that have done good, the resurrection of life. That is, they've believed in Christ and turned their life, and it's good. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I want to tell you, my friends, the Bible, this matters. Easter matters. The resurrection matters because God provides a way of escape. Come on. And that's good news on Judgment Day when Christ forgives our sins and offers us the hope of eternal life. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. We're going to close this way this morning. We're going to end our service with prayer. But I want you to hear a, a short testimony from my wife, Linnell, about how she is finding the truth of what I'm talking about, hope and faith how it's alive in her heart as she's faced this dark journey that she's been walking down. Amen. Well, as my husband said earlier, I was diagnosed with cancer about four months ago. And at the time, I thought I was in the best physical health I'd been as an adult. I was, I, we were climbing 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado and we were doing all these things and all of a sudden you get this, what we would call a death sentence from your doctor. Because all of us know that when you hear the word cancer, fear grips you. It kind of overtakes you, and that's what you think of. They've just told me I'm going to die. Well, I have to admit that I was fearful. I was afraid. I had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of torment where the enemy would come in and would tell me that we wouldn't have Christmas as a family. That he would tell me that my body would be altered and would physically I wouldn't be able to do the things that I used to could do. I would see and remember the, the faces of people that I knew that had died of cancer, family members, friends, people that we loved. I would remember all the pictures of people I would see that had gone through chemotherapy that looked like they were walking ghosts. And the fear that would grip me. But in the midst of the fear, Jesus took my hand. In the midst of the fear, the terror, the, the sleepless nights, 
he was right there beside me. And every day, every moment of every day, I knew he was right there by me. But can I tell you, many of us get bad news and we're blinded just like the disciples. And we don't know that Jesus is right there. Those disciples walking along the road to Emmaus, they just seen their Lord and Savior crucified. They had just seen him buried. And they're walking along and their heads are down. They're discouraged. They're hopeless. They're fearful. They don't know what to do. And Jesus comes right beside them to encourage them, to breathe hope into them, to give them life. And they don't even know he's there because of their discouragement. When you walk through that valley of the shadow of death, you have a choice. You can keep your eyes down looking at your circumstances. Or you can look up. Because I promise you, I promise you, he wasn't just there for me. He'll be there for you. He'll be there for you. And the hope that we have as a Christian is that I'm not afraid to die. Because I know that when I die, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not afraid to die. It's just not my time to die. I'm not going anywhere right now. And I want you to know that when you walk through that valley, look up. Just look up. And just let him come and comfort you. Because he died to give us hope. He died to give us peace. He died to give us a reason to live. And I have a reason to live. I'm not going anywhere for a long time. I I have mission trips already planned in my mind. Not on the books yet, but planned for this next year. I'm, I'm going to go preach the good news of the gospel anywhere and everywhere God allows me. But I want to tell you today, God is a good and faithful God. He loves you, and he wants to give you the hope you need. Praise the Lord. going to close over. You could have said something nice about me and all that. <laughs> I'm hanging out here too. <laughs> I'll let you give me five minutes of your undivided attention because it's time to take the next step in your spiritual life. When I hear something that's true, yesterday I, uh, my son came to visit me. They were in church last night and this past week I ran across a business opportunity that I thought was just perfect. I thought, well, boy, you know, this is something you could do, and you can make some money and help your dad, and you could make a lot of money and help your dad, and you can, you know, you make a lot of money and help your dad. And I thought, it was perfect, and, and I couldn't wait for him to do it, and I shared it with him, and I saw a spark in him, and now we're ready for the next step. How many know you can hear something that's true and good, but if you just take it and put it away, if you just put the note in the phone and forget it and erase the file, it never materializes. This is your moment to take your next step with God. And what I'm going to suggest to you in the next few moments has nothing to do with me and nothing to do with our church. It has everything to do with you and your heavenly Father. All I am today is the mouthpiece telling you what the Bible says and pointing you towards the Savior that can change your life. 
The next step in the spiritual life of some of you this morning, my friends, may be a first step. And a first step to Christ is that wonderful moment in life where you realize that what we've talked about is true. You've realized that your sins have kept you from God and it's time to surrender your life, that you need God's forgiveness, that you need, need your name in the Lamb's book of life and you can't be good enough to earn it. I was raised in church like a lot of you were. It, it was up here. Now, I believed in God, but I was not walking with God. I was not saved. If I'd have died, I, I don't believe I'd have, I'd have gone to heaven. But yet God was kind of out there. August 15, 1976, a Gideon had given me a Bible. And the Bible had written in it these things that I'm sharing with you today. about My sin has separated me from God, and, and God's love has made a way. Because look what the cross did, his death was for, was to pay the judgment or the penalty for my sins. It's like my crime sent me to Huntsville for the electric chair, and Jesus sat in the chair and took my place. That's what the cross is about. So he paid the penalty for my sins. August 15, 1976, I prayed a prayer, went something like this, pillow on my face and a navy boot camp. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Change my life. And can I tell you, it worked. He came into my life. You say, how do you know that? I was there. A first step. Others that are here today, the step you need to make, and I would say for the majority of people, my step I need to make is it's time to get serious with God. God doesn't want to live in the edges of my life. He wants to be in the center of my life. And I'm not talking about doing Christian things. I'm not just talking about going to church and this. And I'm talking about the priority of my life revolving around Christ. Jesus wants to be first in our lives. And if you're here today and you're honest with yourself and God, if Jesus is second or third or fourth, your next spiritual step is to put Christ first. And it starts with a decision. Maybe you don't even know kind of where you fit. But as you listen to Linnell, you realize, I don't have the kind of relationship with God that she has. Now listen, she doesn't have it because she's any more special than you or me. She's just walked with God for a long time. And I'm telling you, as you give yourself to walk with God, as you make this next step, as you turn from going that way and put your heart to go Christ's way, God will change your life just like he did hers. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm feeling in my heart to respond. That's the Holy Spirit drawing us to God. A preacher doesn't talk us into salvation. I mean, no, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And it's like God is a, is a if I can say like, he, there's a bus. And all of humanity is at the bus station. But we're not waiting for the bus. We're playing baseball. We're going duck hunting. You know, we're, you know, we're going diamond ring shopping. We're just, you know, we're living life. We're going to work. We're having fun. We're making money. And the bus pulls up periodically and say, all aboard. It's like the old trains. And some people choose to get on the bus with Christ. And others say, throw it again. I got to get up early. I got to go to work. There's a big sale. Maybe later. Christ is coming today making his appeal to you all aboard. Maybe today, this is the day of your next step with Christ. If it is, I'd be honored to pray with you. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to make my next step with Christ. Would you just lift your hand right now? Do it quickly and do it boldly. God bless you. Let me pray for you. God bless you. God bless you too. Others this morning. Pray for me. Come on, let's do it quickly. Do it quickly. Pray for me this morning. I want to get my life right with Christ. Others this morning. Pray for me. I want to make my step to Christ. I want to make my step to Christ. You say, well, someone else, did I miss you there in the back? 
Yeah, give her a big hand. God bless you too, dear. Why wait? Why wait? You say, well, I've got plenty of time. Maybe not. True story. Last week, I'm in the back door of the sanctuary. After service, I, I met a very wonderful lady. I've seen her quite often. Her name is Betsy Glazier. Loved God. And I hugged her neck and said, I'll see you next week. She died. I believe it was Monday night. Had a massive stroke. They airlifted her to Baylor, and her service will be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. How many know you always don't know what tomorrow may hold? And I would encourage you, if God is appealing to you right now, listen, I believe there's dozens of people that are here today. It's time for the next step. And I'm telling you, I don't want a thing from you. I just want to give you an opportunity to make a step for Christ. You an opportunity to pray. We've got some things we want to give you to help you in the journey of life. But you've got to make the first step, and now is your moment. If you're here today and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm one of those people. I'm ready to come to Christ. Lift your hand again. It's my next step. Pray for me today. God bless you again. Anybody else this morning? Pray for me. I want to make my step to Christ. We're going to begin to worship. I want you that lifted your hand. Come on, just come up to the front right now. Everybody's going to stand. We're going to sing this song. And if you're making a step to Christ today, if you lifted your hand or needed to, come on up and let us pray for you this morning. Give them one more hand as they come today. Say, pray for me. I'm making my step to Christ. You that lifted your hand, come let us pray for you today. Bring your friend with you as we pray this morning. We're going to begin to sing the song, He Lives. Say, pray for me as I make my step to Christ today. Come on, sing it. I can face tomorrow. I can face tomorrow because He lives. You need to be here. Come, let us pray for you. God bless you today. Come, let us pray today. Don't waste the moment. Don't push away God's voice as He calls you. The future and life is worth the living. We're going to sing it again. I want you to do something to help me out here, real boldly, because I just know there's a lot of people in that kind of valley, that place, go left or right. I want you to ask your neighbor this question If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Think about it. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And if they say that they're not, ask them if you could walk down and pray with them today. It could change their life for eternity. Just do it right now. Ask somebody near you, are you 100% sure that if you died today, ask someone next to you, left and your right, are you 100% sure? And if you're not, I'd like to pray. We're going to sing it again. And if you'd like to be included in this prayer, you just come as we sing it one last time. And because he lives, Come on, sing it with me today. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone. God bless you. Give her a big hand. God bless you. Because I know come, let us pray with you today. Give them a big hand as they come today. God bless you. And life is worth the living just Others are coming. Give them a big hand as they come today. Give them a big hand. You're in the valley. You're pulled. 
Something's trying to pull you out of here as fast as you can. Something's trying to pull you to make a connection with God. Which do you think is the Lord? Come, let us pray for you today. Another young man, give him a big hand. God bless him. Give him a big hand today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's a great morning, wasn't it? Well, this is our third one. We, this is our third service. We thank God for it. People making steps to Christ. But I want to encourage you. I want to just say thank you for coming to Church on the Rock this morning. There's wonderful churches in Texarkana, many wonderful ones. But we're just honored you chose us. And I sure hope you'll come back next weekend. Pastor Michael, have the closing prayer. And I love you very much. God bless you. Glad you came today. Hallelujah. I know you are. Hey, we want to bless you as you leave. Our ushers are going to have a little gift bag and just a little blessing for you, a little treat, some candy and goodies. But there's a card inside there. I really want you to look at that. If you're fairly new to the church or haven't got connected, this Wednesday we have a four-week class that starts called the Connect class, and it's all on there. And this Connect class will help you find more about the church. It'll help you just uh, kind of find out about the importance of Bible reading, prayer, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, you'll help discover your spiritual gifts. So you can find a place to use those gifts in the body of Christ. So try to come Wednesday night at 6.30, but that little gift bag will be in the back. But most important, we want to have some prayer time yet. So if you need anything, Jesus just didn't die on that cross so you could go to heaven. But that heaven could come down to earth, and you could be healed. You could be saved. You could be delivered, set free from anything. So our altar team is here. If you want prayer, we'll stay and pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Tell somebody he's alive. Amen.